Welcome to Slater Pod 28. Slater Pod, the podcast for all things translation, localization, machine translation, and whoever funds all these uh, businesses. Uh, hello again from Zurich. Hello from London. Yeah, so I was told we need to say what this podcast is about. So I guess it helps. Yeah. <laughs> it does help right off the bat. That's what we do. Uh, I think I need to refine that a little bit more. That was just on the fly, but you know, need your elevator pitch. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the elevator pitch. So uh, a bit of housekeeping, SlaterCon remote. This is the final week to, not the final week, but we only have seven days left for the actual um, SlaterCon remote. Uh, we had a great uh, dry run today with everybody yeah. on the call. So um, on, on the dry runs, we had a, a box of what, 10, 11 people or something. Yeah. Um, so still time to register. And then we also just uh, informed our subscribers that we were doing a, a digital marketing webinar with our partners uh, from uh, uh, SEO uh, agency in the US, um, super strong uh, registrations there as well. So this, this one's free. So head over and, and register if you're into, you know, interested in, in, in SEO, digital marketing uh, and, and related, uh, things. So on the agenda today, we're going to talk about, uh, a couple of funding. So the funding is back, which is great. Gives us content and, uh, makes some people rich in this industry. Um, so we got Memsource and Intento that, uh, both, well, got, got, got some investment and, and raised some money. Uh, then Esther, you're going to talk about that mega tender renewal in the UK. Yeah public sector tender we uh super proud to uh have having published a an rfp pro guide about how to how to structure and uh, uh how, how to structure a translation localization rfp if you're on the buyer side so you're going to take it through that then there was a, a great medium post again um well i'm saying again because there was a, again a great post on medium by a localization buyer from booking.com uh previously it was deliveroo uh, last week and now it's uh, booking.com and then we're briefly going to talk about the jobs index that that you're uh, compiling the mm -hmm. slater language industry job index that covers it all right yes i believe so great so let's start with memsource uh, uh you know previously a uh, cloud based cat tool for lack of a better word computer aided translation tool of course expanded a lot since uh, added a ton of functionality i think this is a name it's almost a household name uh, mm. in the industry also because they they've been very very active on the marketing side you know attending all of the conferences uh, and 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 doing a, a great work on the marketing side so everybody in this industry knows knows memsource uh, really a, a household name so they sold the majority to a private equity fund and to no other private equity fund than Carlisle. Mm -hmm. uh, more specifically, it's a, uh, a sub um, fund of Carlisle. It, yeah. you know, this is a big uh, conglomerate uh, or private equity uh, a firm that runs multiple funds. It's, uh, I actually don't recall the name. I'm trying to pull it up now, but I don't recall the name. So of, of the specific fund, it's like a fund mm -hmm. number four. They, they had they raised a few others before. So the paradox, uh, it's, it's a, a private equity firm that is listed on the NASDAQ. Uh -huh. Wrap your head around that. So it's private equity, but the overall company is listed on the stock exchange. I see. So they bought the majority of, uh, in Memsource. 
Uh, we haven't actually covered it editorially yet. We haven't had time. No. This was kind of breaking news today, and they used our press release uh, section to announce it, which mm -hmm. which I love. I mean, you're basically getting scooped by your own press release section. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We don't mind. We we do not mind getting scooped by our own press release section. So, uh, you know, Gerard, who's compiling this, pinged me like, hey, did you see that Memsource just submitted a press release that they were majority acquired by Carlisle? I'm like, no, I have not seen that. So that was a, a good surprise this morning. Uh, they did not disclose anything on the price or multiple or anything like that. But I spoke yeah. to uh, the managing director um, or a managing director at Carlisle, a, a gentleman called Fernando Chueca this morning. Uh, for an article we're going to be publishing and very, very interesting take he's had. I don't want to um, uh, say too much at this point in time. I think we're going to be discussing this in more detail in next week's later pod. Uh, but generally, um, uh, they have a very interesting take on the industry. So they do mm -hmm. see very much the long-term growth of the, you know, the core localization translation space. Yeah. Um, they also subscribe to that view that you know unit rates are going down but volumes are just continuing to grow if sure, not like yeah. explode in certain sectors right so basically uh, the volume is going to make up for the price uh yeah. decline so yeah. that's a, a view that i've you know shared many times before this is my personal view mm. uh and i think it's it's an accurate one of course so that that, that was interesting and generally it's a, a major vote of confidence i think for the industry as a whole i mean again mm. memsource is kind of a core platform for the translation and lock industry so yeah this is a major vote of confidence carl I, you know they well, they're huge aren't they they're, they're pretty well known in the in the space they're very well generally. known. Yeah, they're very well known. They they uh, you know they have very talented teams and um, and and so so I think this is this is a I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't call it a transformative acquisition, but it's certainly something we haven't seen. We also have not seen private equity going into the a tech pure tech in the, yeah. the tech space, right? Yeah. So you, you've seen venture capital going into the more risk kind of uh, uh, side of capital going into the the TMS space, but there, I, I don't think there's really been a kind of a more traditional private equity acquisition of a tech play, and they don't want to yeah. go into services, as far as I understand. Okay. Didn't you so, say yeah, that well, Carla yeah. was? Oh no, I was going to say, didn't you say that they had been previously invested in the language industry, so it's not their first time? Uh, they were right? with BTI. Okay. Uh, they were BTI, the the media localizer, um, and they exited. Yeah, presumably. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of adjacent to it, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot more information to come. Check out next week's later pod. Also, we're gonna write about it, and so uh, there's a lot more information on that uh, forthcoming. Just wanted to um, you know make everybody aware. I mean, go and read the press release and and whatever else information there's out there. So uh, next round is Intento. Uh, it, they raised three million in seed capital. In it, uh, the 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 website address is intent.to, and I'm that also came in today. And so my question for the founder when I when we emailed them for questions, we were like, mm. "Well, give me your elevator pitch." Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> for for the layperson, it's not an easy business to describe. I'm I'm gonna try. And you okay. tell me if I did a good job. So I think <laughs> it's a, I mean, they're saying it, it's a platform that helps companies procure and deploy a range of best fit AI solutions for content processing. Machine uh -huh. translation is a core component of that. 
it's in, in I think it's an automated router for machine translation. So it chooses yeah. the best fit for your content, right? Mm -hmm. And this is apparently machine translation is probably only one use case. They're trying to explore, they're expanding into other use cases like automatic transcription and, and voice and some other some other areas. But uh, for now, it's very much focused on the machine translation space. And they raised three million. So. Uh, yeah, the, apologies to Konstantin Savenkov if I just, you know, totally butchered the, <laughs> the, the elevator pitch, but we're waiting for, for, uh, we'll for do a better response. job. Yeah, we'll do a better job in the, in the article and maybe next week we're, as well. That's right. We'll that's work right. on it. <laughs> but again, core, kind of core technology in, in the language industry and, uh, raised, raised some money. Uh, they said they want to, um, first really build out sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they probably have a powerful platform. Now they need to go out and tell the world about it. So that takes a lot of sales and marketing uh, money. Yeah, so that's that from uh, the finance side of the language industry. And let's move over to good old public sector procurement. What happened in the UK? Good old UK, good old public sector. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. As, as we probably know, UK is a major, major buyer in Europe of um, public sector Translation and interpreting, uh, a lot of interpreting contracts as well. But this is really a heads up about um, a major tender that's going to come out, I think, in August, or at least it's, it's supposed to be. Um, so typically, the government will publish these prior information notices to give a heads up about something that of this size. Um, so it's £110 million, uh, pounds, which is around $135 million um, over a period of three years. Um, so I think it's like, that's nice. Nice. Yeah. That, that'll <laughs> keep a few companies sizable. in business. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so this is, it's a pan government contract. So it's not for specifically for one entity, like the police or, you know, the hospitals or something. It's, it's for quite a lot of different entities. Um, and it, it's designed to replace a contract which has been running since 2016. Um, and so technically this contract, the one that's running right now, should have expired um, in April 2020 uh, because that would have been the end of the three-year contract plus one-year extension. So it should have expired in April, mm -hmm. but due to coronavirus, they are um, letting it run, extending it further sort of on exceptional terms, I think, for another 12 months. So this contract, the one that the, the tender that's upcoming will eventually probably go live around April 2021. Um, so before then, they've given a heads up and they're going to be publishing uh, the new tender um, interestingly, and I don't know what's happened to sort of the excess here, but the, the original tender, the, the contract that's running right now was for 250 million pounds. And this mm -hmm. new one is for 110 million pounds. So is it that has some of that, you know, con has some of that demand just gone to a different contract? Has it just been eliminated altogether? I have no real sort of idea about you that. Know, you know what I think? Go on. I, I think, I, I think it might be that that it was kind of a ceiling to 250 uh, yeah. about four years uh, four years ago right and mm -hmm. and they now have a much better understanding of what they actually need yeah so then they narrowed it it was probably some like super broad ceiling that they just wanted to make sure that they could cover it if it actually you know if the demand was there but now they found out well we probably don't need that much yeah and then they shrunk and it that, down and they, that's they, what's this difficult. is more accurate maybe that's what I was going to say that's what's difficult when you come to sort of analyze some of the um, sort of fun some of the values of these contracts when they're awarded because actually it might be a maximum value that is never quite reached for example it's never quite but yeah, in any exactly. case they've refined yeah. they've refined their needs now by the sounds of things um, 
And they're actually asking for input from um, the market, so both from potential suppliers and from um, users of these of these contracts on how they should structure this new one. So, for example, you know, how many lots or how many different kind of contracts should they be running? Um, should they be um, kind of allocating these services or these contracts on a nationwide basis or regionally? Uh, so, I mean, because it, it's very broad reaching. So it covers everything from translation to transcription, including on, uh, interpreting on-site phone, video, quality control, proofreading, and sign language and Braille um, services as well. So you need to divide it up. Um, and last year yeah. there were, no, last time there were 13, 13 suppliers awarded on this, on this massive contract. So we'll see what comes of that in, in the months, in the months that follow. Just like a cottage industry around all these major contracts, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's also once you're familiar with how to pitch for this or how to fill in the RFP, you know, probably next time around it's easier. So mm, definitely, yeah. yeah. Speaking of RFPs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so as, as you mentioned, Floria, we have just published this pro guide, um, primarily for the buy side, obviously, on how to run a translation and localization services, RFP. Uh, but it could also be interesting for, for suppliers who are looking for an insight into that whole process as well. Uh, so the guide, I think, is about 25 pages. Um, it's very it's insightful, concise. We're looking at questions like, why do I need to run an RFP? Should I run an RFP? What kind of timeline do I need to run the RFP? Um, helping people as well think about, right, what do I need to put in place up front before I even launch the RFP? Um, asking, you know, what questions do I need to ask of my participants? What information do I need to provide them to help them give me the information that we need or provide the, the best solution that they can? Um, and we've got a couple of feature chapters as well on uh, machine translation. So specifically um, the machine translation landscape, it's kind of a primer on what's going on there, as well as um, an, an overview of um, the kind of primary business models in uh, translation management systems as well. And um, so lots of practical yeah. information in there um, and a good guide for, for anyone who's considering or needs to run an RFP. And One hopefully not torture those poor bid managers. Right. <laughs> I, think, I mean, if you're going by the way we propose it or we, we outlined it, I think it's a relatively lean exercise. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes these RFPs can go completely over the top with all right. kinds of crazy detailed information that sounds good in theory, but you re really don't need it eventually. And I mean, yeah. you know, if you're a bid manager at one of these LSPs, like... <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, if you have a bid manager as a company, you're lucky because sometimes even your business development, people would get sucked into filling out RFPs. And that's probably the worst use of their time. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll help here uh, develop a bit of a, a lean approach to RFP writing and also yeah. a quite tight process. I, we have a, a, a chapter in there about like the timeline. Right. And I think yeah. it's within 30 to 40 days. So you don't want to be. Uh, you know, chasing people around or, or letting them wait for a long time and leaving them kind of in, 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 in limbo around, well, whether you want it or not. I remember so many times like you, you know, you scramble, you deploy all your resources on the vendor side to, to fill all mm -hmm. that in and then, well, quiet for a month. It's like, I yeah. think that's, you know, that's not great. And um, eventually, you know, this needs to be a partnership between the buyer and the vendor. So you want to make yeah. it a tight process that has a beginning and an end. Yeah. But I think even, even things like thinking about 
as a buyer, you know, who do I even start to invite to my RFP? You know, if you're a first time buyer or not particularly experienced with the landscape, um, you might have heard a few names, but you might not know who's best placed. Um, We have some some lists um, and different things that we can point you to as well for for how to to start to decide who to invite. We have so many lists. So, yeah, if you're if you're unsure, reach out. We have a ton of lists. We'll let you know. We'll give you the short list. We'll make sure that you don't need to wade through, um, you know, 400 vendors in order to pick out the 10 that probably are best for your needs. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, uh, medium is getting more popular among the buyer side, stake on the buyer side. Mm. I mean, this is the second time we picked up on a super interesting medium post in two weeks, uh, but yeah. To say, last last time we spoke with that Deliveroo, and now yeah. it's uh, Booking.com. We, we've we've had Booking.com at a SlaterCon before at uh, SlaterCon Tokyo, actually. Oh, okay. They they run a giant internal, um, you know, translation localization operation, mm-hmm. and so yeah. What, what was that about the the post? You you looked yeah. into this. I mean, I, I think. I think I'll qu- just quickly say. I think what you're to your point is kind of a product of. Um, Medium obviously being a very interesting space or medium, medium's an important medium for people in yeah. in roles like UX, design, product and things like that. So I think it's an extension of what these localization folks are seeing their colleagues do on medium. Is that is that so? I yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. so. Um yeah. I mean a lot of my a lot of my friends in like digital roles, product roles, they're all they're all over medium. So <laughs> So, so medium, is that the thing? I actually don't know. It, was it mm. by a Twitter, like a ex Twitter guy? Cause I mean, it's oh, basically right. long. Where, f- no, here's where my knowledge is exhausted. I'm afraid. I don't know. Okay. Too much. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Like I looked at medium maybe like three years ago and I, I think I squat, uh, like I, I, I occupied a few good names. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay. like, like n- neural machine translation on Twitter or something. Like, I think I, 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 I Booked that. That's your thing, like domain domain squatting or whatever. No, well, no, but like, uh, yeah, but you want to make sure you get your, for for example, your your real name, like if the thing takes off, right? So I mean, imagine if you had like Esther, like at at Esther would be your Twitter handle, like that would be pretty cool. So uh, yeah, when these things uh, start to grow, you want to be first. Okay, (laughs) so digital. uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's too late. Uh, well, okay, I can just dive into it, I suppose. So this is uh, yeah. really targeted, I suppose, at um, UX writers. So not not necessarily specifically localization people, but it's how to how to collaborate and work with uh, localization as a UX writer. Um, so I guess the, the the title of the post was why you should want your localization team to change your copy. So as a UX writer, um, mm. and, and the premise is sort of. What she says in the article, and this lady, Isla Kessel, um, is a language specialist at at, um, Booking.com based in Israel. So she says, some UX writers expect their localization teams to produce a translation that is identical to the original copy, yet somehow completely resonates with the market that they're localizing for. So obviously that's impossible. It's something that we've heard time and time again um, in localization and translation. But instead, she says you should be advocating for a greater involvement of localization teams upfront, so in copy creation. Um, it's a collaborative process. Localization teams should be involved. And she also said, which I wasn't aware of, but it kind of goes to your point of it being a very large operation there. At Booking.com, there are more than 200 language specialists who translate copy from British, English into nearly 50 languages. So it's obviously 
yeah, big deal, big team, That's lots, big. Of, lots of copy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, um, yeah, I like, I like her point. Like, yes, mm. you're, you can't make it that, but that's, yeah, you can't make it identical, but it also resonates. I think they had some great charts in there. Like, yeah, with, that's right. um, uh, for example, the, I like the first name, both names and surname. Yeah. Like, for example, yeah, in, in German, if you just use the first name, it's kind of a little too close, especially in uh -huh. Germany and Switzerland, probably would work if you use somebody's only somebody's first name. But if you only use the surname, it's a little kind of formal. It's a little too yeah. much. It's a little too official. So kind what do you of, do? So you, using, you just use both. Yeah, use both, right? Okay. So, but like yeah. in, in, in the States, uh, you are in more kind of, well, informal, informal. cultures, you, you use yeah. the first name or in Japan. I mean, it's obviously surname, you know, with son. a son and some yeah. other uh, formula. So yeah, it's, um, there, there's some interesting things in there. Um, yeah. and, she, she was also yeah. talking about, um, for example, being, everyone talks about being culturally sensitive. I mean, we think, okay, yeah, I've got that down. Um, but it's kind of practical things that she mentioned, like in some cultures and some countries, they don't, they work a different, there's a different working week. So they might work Sunday through to Thursday, for example. So if you are making a joke about, you know, uh, Monday morning or thank God it's Friday, uh, that doesn't really resonate in those markets. And also perhaps, perhaps sort of more commercially importantly, is that open rates for emails that you're sending out on certain days might be lower in certain countries. You need to plan actually sort of the marketing calendar around that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a very, very interesting space. Actually one that when you're too far down the translation rabbit hole, you sometimes tend to forget like, like, yes, you've got the finance text, you've got the legal texts that are all about uh, expertise of the, of the translator. But I mean, in, in this space, there's a lot, there's so many other components around mm -hmm. it. Uh, especially when you're going into 30, 40, 50 languages, right? There's so many cultural yeah. aspects you need to consider at scale, uh, which is yeah. very hard. And I mean, we're, we're also, we have a ad from Quill. Uh, we, we just yeah. saw him before, right? And, and, uh, his company is, is very much in, in this, right? Content yeah. creation, um, uh, multilingual content creation mm -hmm. as opposed to, quote unquote, really quote unquote, just translation. Yeah. But so, it makes it much harder, yeah. I think, to use, just to go back to sort of conventional translation, I suppose, it makes it much, much harder to use any kind of translation memory because actually yeah. the, the copy that you're writing or the final copy does, is not really a, a translation per se of, of the original. Um, so, well, maybe, yeah. maybe Memsource is going to figure that out with all that uh, Carlisle money. with all the money. Yeah. <laughs> with all the money, they're going to figure that out. So, uh, you know. They should. They I don't know. Cross-cultural rewriting content memory. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to, mm. uh, to get the tech people behind. Um, yeah. So, you know, th this industry also is uh, creating a lot of, I guess, or has created over the past 10 years, a lot of new job profiles, but seg that, that was a bad segue, but I'm trying to segue no, into the jobs brilliant. index. <laughs> All right. Let's segue into the jobs index. So it, we, we publish our very own, uh, the, uh, Slater, uh, language industry job index and it's down again, surprise, surprise in mm. July, but only marginally so. So it completely collapsed from March through the lockdown. Um, and it went from like, uh, 126 down to 98. And if you're wondering what is hundred, well, 100 was the baseline we took in July, 2018, when we started this, right? Mm. So basically it went back to before July, 2018 levels. 
And now it went down just marginally, like by one point uh, from June to July. That's kind of in line with what you're seeing in the broader economy. Like it's kind yeah. of stabilizing. And in the U.S., actually, there's 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 hiring again in some of these uh, some of these areas before we you know experience the second wave. But uh, let's see how that pans out. But you know, there it's still very slow. I think, especially on like new jobs that are. Um, that are published. I think that one, those components are still going down fairly quickly. I think, I think there was a, there was a no. little bit of an uptick actually on some, at least on some of the platforms, the job oh, really? okay. aggregation side. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, there was, okay. um, but not not across the board. So it's still not across the board, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's probably going to be a little bit of a delay in terms of also when somebody's furloughed. Uh, uh, you know, people are going to, I don't know. I, I'd get rehired or maybe uh, start we'll, looking we'll, for a new uh, job. Yeah. Yeah. Start looking for a new job completely. So uh, always, um, it's always interesting when we compile that index and see, see how it trends. I think it's been very useful so far. Mm. All right. Yeah. So uh, that's it for today. Again, uh, register one last quick reminder, Slatercon remote next to uh, next Thursday. And if you're uh, interested in digital marketing, SEO, free webinar, go check it out on the Slater.com website. And get a That's copy of the us. RFP report. <laughs> oh, yeah. And get a copy of the RFP there. report. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the reminder. Well, thanks. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. See you. Bye. Bye.